0: Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain.
1: Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm
0: Brian McCain.
1: Brian D. McCain.
0: Yes. And? Devious. There very well, very well.
1: <laughs> All right, so we are—we um, haven't been with you for a little while. We finished up with some of the election stuff, and it's really been uh, kind of a roller coaster uh, for us in the last little bit because we've had some not changes, but some kind of earth-shaking things happen in Colorado um, uh, as a result of the election. So we've been gathering ourselves together, really trying to understand what needs to happen next. And we've talked about it a little bit on the show before, but we are actually launching an academy, a Governance Policy and Leadership Academy. We'll be launching next month in January. And as we were trying to decide how we really develop this professional fellowship that we're putting together. We were looking around at all of our partners and the people that really make a difference uh, that are key to what we're doing in in Southern Colorado, but uh, also around the state. And of course, uh, as our listeners know, we do a ton of of work in the veteran space, and that's um, entirely uh, your doing, Brian. That was one of the things that's really um, our top priority for Action 22. So we have a guest here with us who is uh, Director Kilmer for the, the VA, and he's joined us today to have this discussion. We have a lot of things to discuss because... There have been, there's been a lot of movement in the last little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Some things that we were definitely worried about that we wanted uh, to talk about. And Brian, you've been working very closely with Director Kilmer. So it was perfect (coughs) to have you. So we had a little bit of a hiatus in the show. So you're welcoming us back to that. So thank you so much for being with us, Director. We appreciate you so much. Will you start off with just telling us a little bit about um, about you, how you got on this journey, how it is you're the director of the VA, because you know, veterans are focused constantly in, in our region, mm-hmm. but I don't think people know who you are or <laughs> really have, have gotten to know you, and you've been <coughs> working very hard on that, but I'd like people to sort of introduce, be introduced to you.
2: Okay. Well, first, thank you for having me to the show. This is very exciting. <laughs> and uh, I think this is actually my first official podcast. So. <gasps> what? Uh, I know. Yeah, I, I've done some radio before, but- We're uh, your first. Yes. But uh, of course, I don't have, you know, Brian's uh, radio voice. Nobody has but, Brian's
1: radio voice.
2: Uh, so, no, a little bit about me. Um, I was raised on the rural coast of Washington State. And I ended up going into the Coast Guard because, frankly, the, where I was born and raised, there, there weren't many options other than to be an unemployed whatever, you know. Um, so I ended up going in the Coast Guard because I, I was looking for the GI Bill benefits. You know, I was first generation in my family to go to university. And, uh, and I went later in life because I ended up going active duty and I loved it. Um, I drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, uh, once I got into the Coast Guard and so my first career was with the Coast Guard and, um, then I transitioned over to the VA after graduate school. I went to the University of Washington, studied, uh, social work cause I thought I wanted to be a therapist and and to be honest, I um, was going to go and my goal with going to the VA was uh, to get my license to use them as a training vehicle to go out onto private practice. But then I found myself again. I I drank the Kool Aid and fell in love with our mission, and and I I truly believe that the VA of all the federal departments uh, has the most honorable mission in serving our veterans. You know our brothers and sisters that come home. And uh, so I've been there ever since.
1: And you've loved it. Mm -hmm. You've, and and Brian's told me a lot about this, but (coughs) you have been very conscientious about building a culture within your team that's inclusive, that is very thoughtful in everything they do, and really asks what needs to happen in the face of, The VA is very difficult to (laughs) navigate. That's a very difficult thing to do. So you started with your own team, what that's going to look like. Can you tell me a little bit about how you've done that? What was your vision? This is what this has to look like in order for us to fulfill this mission.
2: Well, it uh, first starts with the mission and starts with serving our veterans. And um, I am personally very passionate about Uh, access to care. Um, and, and I'll share first a little story if I may. Um, I, I personally believe that my stepdad who raised me from a very early age would have lived a longer, healthier life if the VA served him. Um, he unfortunately was of that generation, Korean war veteran, uh, also uh, he's Native American so he's kind of quiet by nature <laughs> or culture and uh, but he lost his military paperwork in a house fire and oh my gosh. yeah and his official records were destroyed in the National Archives fire. Oh. And so every time he went to the VA, he was turned away and kind of treated like he's this crazy old guy. Um, and we, you know, like I mentioned, we grew up in a rural town and the providers there did not understand veterans or their military exposure and experience. And, um, so luckily the VFW did help, uh, my stepdad and, and my mom and, um, The, he, he, unfortunately, um, the help didn't come through until after he passed, but I'll, I'll get to the silver lining in a minute, but because he was turned away, that is one of the things that drives my desire to look for how can we make our veterans eligible, uh, because, like you said, we're a large bureaucracy. There's more than one way to access VA benefits. Right. And oftentimes people don't know uh, the questions to ask. And we need to, to listen more and seek the answers to figure out how can we make our veterans eligible and get them the access. Uh, with my stepdad, uh, because he didn't have that access, spent five years in a hospital bed in the family room. Um, after he passed, the amazing thing is because of the work with the VFW, um, he they awarded him a hundred percent service connection post mortem, which is rather unusual. And this was before I was ever <laughs> in the VA or <laughs> knew what was you know how to navigate the system. But uh, so my mom ended up receiving his benefits as a widow um, until she passed. But access is important. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question with the team, it has to be about the, the mission. We have to hire the right people right, uh, to fulfill that mission and, and really our, our duty to serve those who have served.
0: So one thing working years alongside the VA with the VA um, sometimes sending nasty letters to the VA <laughs> like <in> my congressional <laughs> staff days. I receive a few of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, you started off over in grand junction at the hospital there um, and really turned that around. And then since you've come over to this side of the mountain, and one thing that had been lacking in the past was basically community outreach to the rural areas. Yes. Um, and, you know, Action 22 is all rural other than Colorado Springs. We, but we still claim them. Um, but that is the number one complaint is just, you, you know, access to the VA and outreach. And since you've been doing these um, town hall style events throughout the counties and the, the clinics in the rural part, um, people don't believe it you know, this is the first time that they've actually seen somebody from the VA coming out to these areas to actually listen to their concerns, mm-hmm. to talk to them, look at them face to face. And, you know, doing that, what has been kind of the feedback is, do you see people appreciating that? Are they, they really like saying, seeing that you care, that you are
2: focused on care specifically to the rural veterans? <laughs> Interesting question. Um, I think most people are on the spectrum of cautiously optimistic and hopeful. Um, Some people um, absolutely don't believe or trust that we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I've made it my goal. And I feel duty bound to be out to our clinics and in the communities at least once a quarter Mm -hmm. because showing up consistently that I hope will show that we are supporting the rural clinics. Um, so I, it, it really depends on the community because <laughs> all of our communities have a different personality. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, it really depends on the community as far as the overall um, reception. But overall, I would say uh, all of them are are welcome they're glad to see us there but you know th- it ranges on on where they fall as far as if they believe it so um that is why we're doing everything we can to uh put our actions you know to uh results
0: yeah. And there was a few comments, you know, the first time you came through, it was like, Oh, he's never going to be back. <laughs> uh, it's like, Oh wait, he's back. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, you should go and talk to him. Like, these are the people that will help you with the problems that you're facing. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to know that it's a problem unless they hear from you yeah. to identify this problem. And we saw it at a, few of the the meetings that we've had where somebody has this problem like, oh, actually, this is Mm -hmm. it. You know, it's not really a problem once we hear it. So we really appreciate that in the rural part of Colorado, just your team, everybody coming out and being responsive to us here as a veteran myself.
1: So along that vein, I'd like to you to set the record straight. We were concerned about a recommendation by the Air Commission to shut down a whole bunch of rural clinics. Mm -hmm. You mobilized very quickly on this. But the rumors are still out there. Can you say a little bit about how that started and what mm-hmm. the where the status is on that now?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, very good question. Uh, and I've heard a lot of those rumors, and it's some of them I just baffle me. Uh, so I wish I could get to the source of it. But uh, to set the record straight, the heirs' commission and the market assessment that it was done that was not. A local initiative that is in the law of the mission act. And so the mission act recognized a need for the VA to do a better job of assessing its resources. Do you have the right services, right resources in the right locations? So the market assessment was comp- conducted, and for us specifically, it was m- recommended to close Burlington, La Junta, Lamar, and Salida, and to transition that care to the local community. Problem is, especially after COVID, there's not enough care in the local community to transition it to. Right. And so as, as soon as, uh, I was authorized to help educate the community about the market assessment with the recommendations, we were on the road visiting every one of those communities, uh, within a, less than a week yeah. and uh, which is not a easy task. Um, but this is where I, I felt duty bound uh, because to get the word out right because our communities they need to know I wanted to get ahead of any rumors it's like so I, I can't give my opinion but I can give you the facts and the communities can take those facts and do with them what they will right But so we did get out, and and part of that duty for me to get out there is because our veterans return home to communities. They don't return home to the VA. right? They return home to a community that the VA is a part of. And so that's that's why we got out there, to uh, just make sure people were armed with the facts, and those communities stood up. And as you can see, as a result, the heirs commission was never chartered, right? So since the Airs commission was never chartered because, uh, many of our elected officials from this state, um, said, no, not now too soon, bad data, pre COVID data. Right. So, um, let's, let's pause and reassess because in the law, there's a very clear timeline, of actions that have to occur. And by our uh, congressional reps and senators not supporting the commission, it essentially died on the vine.
1: I thought it was interesting to watch from where I was sitting that the process worked. So the uh, the assessment's a healthy thing. That needs to happen. We need to say, is is everything being used in in an effective way? Um, what I thought was really great, though, was the minute that everybody realized, like, the data, the, the assessment was pre-COVID, mm-hmm. and you got out there and you had all of your, all these representatives, Senator Bennett, Senator Hickenlooper, uh, other of the representatives from Congress, they jumped up and down on it very, very quickly because the connections were there. This was an a Beautiful example of how it works when everybody's engaged. I thought that was really great, and you mm-hmm. did. There were rumors. Every we were hearing about it. Brian <laughs> was still rumors. Calls. <laughs> There's still rumors, and it's again, it's that trust thing. Well, they, that's what they say, but what's really happening is this. I think some of. I think sometimes that is used as mm-hmm. political fodder. Mm-hmm. That being said, this was very well handled because you got out there and you did that. And I was in at some of those meetings and heard what they were said. saying. The other thing that was really great when you presented them with the facts, they were, they were working the problems as the community, which was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So what was something that you learned that was unexpected when you were going out there and visiting with them that it was like, Oh, this is a great takeaway. This is something that we can figure out together.
2: Mm, that's a good question. Um, the, the, I don't know if it was learned, but validating uh, that when our rural communities are challenged, how they come together. Yes.
1: That's absolutely so,
2: true. So um, in every community, we had a, an amazing turnout. And if I reflect uh, on our resource fair that we had in Lamar, I was shocked. I, I was thinking, hey, if we have 20 veterans come out, right? Um, it was standing room only wow. with well over 100 uh, people that came out That's to hear about the resources that were available and to hear updates on the market assessment. In Lamar. In Lamar. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I think also the rural communities are fiercely protective of their veterans.
2: Oh, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: That was the all the passion mm-hmm. and emotion and frustration mm-hmm. and all of those things. It mm-hmm. was all about we have to take care of the veterans. Mm-hmm. We have to do that a lot. So what are next steps?
2: So um, as far as I'll, I'll share one of the things that uh, I was asked about at a couple of those sites because back to the market assessment. Yeah. So the market assessment is supposed to be do, uh, re-completed every four years. So um, I've had community leaders and veterans say, well, great. We, we passed the cut this time, but what about next time? So so my goal is to show that we can make our rural clinics uh, financially viable for the taxpayer um, and that they are places that we can provide quality, safe care. And so what's next is we're implementing that strategy. And my hope is that we'll be able to drive enough business to those clinics uh, to keep them off the chopping block. Right. And so what we're doing there is you know, I've, I've been here now in, uh, on the front range for three years, and we're nowhere where I would like to be with um, improving our healthcare system because of our setbacks with COVID. Uh, but right now, we're, we're really getting some traction on some significant changes that are going to make us, I think, the premier healthcare system and just not even within VA, but within our community. <laughs> But for the rural markets, uh, we're we're making uh, a specific rural strategy that will have its own dedicated leadership team because you cannot run the rural clinics like an urban clinic. So we'll have a dedicated team supervising them. And at each site, each one of our clinic sites, the infrastructure now has a point person as a site manager to ensure that the building's working, that everything's running, so the staff can do their job. Previously, that was uh, shifted inappropriately, in my opinion, onto the clinical staff. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but also, uh, we're in the process of hiring va community care liaisons and i just met our very first one that we hired in salida and the community care liaison their job will be to uh work side by side with the provider so if the provider identifies hey you need x-ray stat or lab stat Right now, they refer them over to the ED because the system's not working. But that person, the community care liaison, will be able to put in the consult uh, um, and process it for a real-time appointment over the local facility. Um, And they'll also serve as a direct point person for any local veteran who has concerns about community care instead of waiting. One of my top complaints, the phone lines for community care. So now there will be someone that they can actually speak with in person or on the phone directly in the clinic. They can look it up and have the the direct access to pull the levers to make the consult work. So we're excited about that. And then we are also in the process of hiring providers for every one of the clinics. Uh, and I'll give you a quick status on each one. Uh, unfortunately, we did lose our provider in Burlington, mm-hmm. but we already have a provider um, identified that we're actively recruiting right now, and I'm pretty confident that's going to go through. So we'll have another MD in Burlington. which, by the way, has never happened until I started doing these rounds. Our previous MD that was there was the very first MD that that clinic has ever had in person. Really? Yeah, that was a telephone clinic. So, um, yeah, most of these clinics were built to be – telephone clinics so the veterans could go into and have access through broadband and that. Because, you know, one of the biggest challenges, no broadband in our rural communities. Yeah, yes. we
1: have so much broadband. I mean, that's <coughs> the obvious answer is to have <laughs> phone clinics for these people because broadband <laughs> is just top of the line.
2: Exactly. So, so I was
1: being sarcastic for those of you who were listening and scratching your head.
2: Uh, so Burlington we have a, an MD uh, in, in queue for there unfortunately we're losing our very beloved provider in Lamar um, so we're going out for active and aggressive recruitment there uh, Lahanta we have a new nurse practitioner that's starting in February and we have uh, we're in active negotiation with a second one and when you look at the total population in Lahanta they don't Warrant to providers, but my, st- my take is if we have a qualified provider that's a good fit for our veterans hire them right because uh, what we can do uh, is have our urban veterans receive telehealth out to the rural clinics right and we can fill so that's shifting the resources shifting the workload to help f- justify the clinics from a fiscal perspective Alamosa still stable we could use a half-time to full-time provider there we're looking into that uh and then Salida we just hired a new half-time provider there because we had lost our provider there and uh and Salida was also just a telephone clinic as well really Mm -hmm. they never had a provider until I started doing these community rounds Uh, It's amazing when you get out and you actually learn the community. You you can't make these decisions from Denver. You have to be in the community and you have to get boots on the ground and really see it. So, but yeah, that's that's what's next for us. And I'm really confident that we can shift enough workload out. And from an infrastructure perspective, all of those clinics by the end of January should have – Uh, IT upgrades so they can bring in better um, virtual care with video and through the IT network.
0: So um, you say this all the time at meetings and Uh I tell everybody it too. So you're probably sick of saying it, but the importance of being a veteran and signing up for healthcare, even if you're not going to receive it, but as long (coughs) as you're in the system, can you, can you let everybody know
2: that why that's important? (sighs) I'm so glad you asked that (laughs) and we can't say it enough. Uh, It is absolutely important for every eligible veteran um, to register and have your baseline health exam with the VA. Because for you as an individual, even if you don't need the health care today, you don't know when you may need it. For you as an individual, you might have private health insurance like I do, um, but still registered with the VA. Um, you, It's a fallback for you, and um, but it's really a way for you to serve again. A lot of veterans think they're taking away from other veterans by registering or coming in for services. That is not the case. We need as many healthy veterans enrolled with us as possible because every veteran brings more money to this community that allows us to serve our ill and injured veterans better. It allows us to provide new programs that promote prevention well-being such as, you know, massage, chiropractor, um, you know, those type of services
0: and um I, I say that to everybody too they're like oh I'm not registered I don't need to I'm like well you might need to but mm-hmm. also listen to this this is how you can help your fellow veteran uh, with that they the pact act mm-hmm. that that was signed and we've been getting a lot of questions about that from some of our county commissioners some of the rural people um you know how does one go about uh I guess applying for that whatever the term is to get in the system that may have been impacted
2: by burn pits or other such things um thank you for asking that and the pact act uh is truly historical for us it is expected to be a game changer for va and and if frankly i think our elected officials in va should be applauded for the pact act because It's look how long it took us to recognize the effects of Agent Orange. We're not having to wait that long for VA to recognize the effects of burn pits and other toxic exposures. So we anticipate this is going to open up a lot of a greater need and make it easier for veterans to get in. And um, if you believe that you have been exposed or you know you've been exposed, you really need to come into the VA and register. And you can do that on va.gov. Just enroll with us and you can register on va.gov for special screenings. And, And this is actually locally, our the, the, my leadership team and I were, were looking at uh, not if or when, but how can we build the uh, best toxic exposure program here in Denver um, or in the Eastern Colorado healthcare system? We're moving out on that as a strategy. And because of our team's historical work around screening, we were actually identified as the home site for Vet Home, which is a national level program that will do the higher level screening after someone does screen positive. Uh, so that's good news. We have that here based out of Denver or, or Colorado, but bad news is they took a lot of our staff and now I have to rebuild. <laughs> so um, it's kind of a double edged sword, but <clears throat> we're moving out on that. Um, the, uh, and, and as far as the, the actual bill, it does expand eligibility to care benefits and services. If you've been exposed but don't have symptoms, getting on that registry now. Is critical because if you look at history, we didn't know all of the illnesses that were caused by Agent Orange exposure. We still don't know what may or may not be caused by burn pits or other toxic exposures. But if you're on that registry and something does become... Uh, associated with exposure, you're going to have instant recognition for care and benefits around that exposure. That's similar to the, some of the
0: older veterans that we would help that, you know, had Agent Orange exposure, had no symptoms, and then they hit 68 years old. And then they have to go through that entire process when it's, critical that they get the benefits then so basically you need to get on that register to to, in case something happens or something comes up later
2: yes um
0: you know you brought up a good point that it it took some of your people to work on that so i know you're always hiring Uh, (laughs) Yeah, everybody is but what if somebody wants to work with the va
2: um where do they go (laughs) <laughs> Great question. Can I come back to that one? Yeah. Okay. So let me tell you about a special event that's happening next week. Okay. And uh, anyone in this area would be, um, you're you're invited to come. But uh, December fifteenth from four thirty to six thirty, we're actually having a packed act open house at the PFC Floyd Lindstrom Clinic in Colorado Springs, and we we're very intentional about hosting this event in Colorado Springs because it's closer and more connected to our rural communities. And we usually have a better response, frankly, from our rural communities and places like Pueblo and Colorado Springs than what we do in the Denver Metro market. So we were very intentional and it's after clinic uh, hours So we have the full clinic access to run this special event. So uh, this next Thursday, December 15th, 4.30 to 6.30. uh, If you think you've been exposed to anything, uh, come on out.
1: Well, the other thing, uh, just like with the numbers, register, get your benefits. This is going to be the same thing because it's going to be data collecting. Correct. Understanding what the symptoms are and they're not going to know if everybody's Mm -hmm. waiting until Mm -hmm. later on uh, as far as being able to deliver care in a timely manner and treating whatever symptoms or whatever effects there are this this work has to happen now so this is another way i think sounds like for veterans to help each other on that i would just say i would love to see you do that event more than once. I think it's gonna take like several times over because it it takes a while for people around here to catch on to we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. You can you can say it several times and then, oh, okay, I didn't know that was happening. Now I'll go to that.
2: So Yeah. Uh we 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 plan to and in the the PACT Act screening, uh we're required by law to screen every veteran that's Uh, that's enrolled with us and every veteran whether it's in the va system proper or within community care so there's going to be a very aggressive outreach there um but yeah we're we we have a heavy lift ahead of us but it's the right thing to do so uh, um so yeah we're integrating all of this in
1: so just one more question along that vein what is the screening process like? Is this very intrusive? Is it answering <coughs> a bunch of questions? Do you have to give blood and
2: you know, tissue
1: samples? <laughs> what, what exactly does it entail?
2: They Chop off your pinky finger pinky and then finger it, and for it. Put <laughs> it.
1: Yeah, put it in a jar someplace. Yeah.
2: Well, we got to preserve some kind of DNA. <laughs> right? yeah. Yes. So, um, a good question. So initially it's, it's a very, uh, high level screening just through questions and you answering and depending on how you answer then it can lead on to further uh lab work or exams um and va is i I anticipate through this will be growing more of our toxic exposure programs uh we have i think we're at four now nationwide um, where if sometimes you have a veteran that has symptoms that their primary care just can't quite figure out. Yeah. Right. And if you've been, uh, exposed to, uh, agent orange or burn pits or any of the, the known exposures like that, uh, we can actually refer you to that specialized team that will assess your medical record, review your labs. Sometimes they even fly you out for physical examinations, um, just to consult with your treatment team back home, because this, this is, uh, rapidly, uh, becoming, or I should say has arrived as a specialized medical service, um, that's beyond what a normal primary care provider can assess on their own sometimes. So, uh, yeah, lots of exciting stuff there.
1: I'm so happy to hear all of that. You know, <coughs> I, I remember seeing um in my dad's generation some of you know what exposure to agent orange mm-hmm. did and how difficult that was and now i know so many of the people i'm close to were exposed to burn and mm-hmm. i it worries me but I'm so so I'm so glad that you're so aggressively trying to address mm-hmm. that. That it is a game changer. You're right. You said that yeah. in the beginning. so. Yeah.
2: Um, and, and Brian, you mentioned about hiring, and, and then I think you were also asking me about some diversity equity inclusion. I don't know if mm-hmm. we hit that. Um, as far as the uh, diversity equity inclusion, bottom line, VA serves all veterans, regardless. So, um, and sometimes that may require specialized treatment based on someone's personal background. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that, uh, my stepdad that raised me is native American. Mm-hmm. There's cultural differences there. So providing culturally informed care is critical. And, um, the and, and shout out to Native Americans out of all minority groups, from a percentage wise, more Native Americans have served in the U.S. Armed Forces than any other uh, minority group in, in our country. So, uh, kudos to them.
1: Absolutely.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then on the, on the job piece, uh, man, there's so many job opportunities. I know. So many and and I was just talking to a colleague today about, uh, my past career path and, um, you know, being a coastie that served on ships, uh, I was sharing that running a hospital reminds me a lot of working back on a ship, mm-hmm. you know, it's very orderly, uh, but the, a lot of the emergency management and that, that you have to go through on a ship, it's very similar foundationally to, to running a hospital. And, uh, when you look if, if you ever have the privilege of going into the bowels of the hospital, uh, we have an engine room, you know, we have boilers, we have water softener systems, we have anything that a ship has except for the weapons, <laughs> 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 uh, which could be fun. But, right. um, but we, uh, we have all of that equipment and so we have jobs like that. Uh, on up to you know human resources to the professional healthcare jobs so uh, if if someone is interested in a job with the VA, uh, it's always best I think if you know someone hmm. but there's different pathways va.gov usajobs.gov uh, those are all easy pathways. Um, and the reason I say, if you know someone, they can coach you into the system. Yeah. Uh, and part of our, our special outreach team, we do have a staff member that can actually assist people. Um, and coach them through their resume and cause federal, it's, it's a it's technical a art. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Federal resume is not the private sector is like, don't give me anything more than two pages. The VA yeah. is like, you know, or government, it's no more than five pages you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we want the very specific format. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's in, in veterans, it really did. You know, there's, there's different legal authorities. My job as the director or in civilian terms, uh, CEO um, I'm hired under a different legal authority because I'm part of the senior executive service corps but then doctors are hired under a different legal authority oh. and nurses have a different legal authority and we have our GS workers they all have different legal authorities and so it, it is it is complicated uh, but it's not it's not unachievable um, and we are definitely looking uh, for uh, a lot of staff. Primary care, we're down, but we're filling those rapidly. Mental health, um, as you guys have heard me refer to, we have about 200 vacancies right now in mental health. So to help make up for that vacancies, we're expanding our peer support programs. Um, I think we've, gosh, I believe we've doubled those, maybe even tripled our peer support since I've been here. Uh, But it's great because if you have another veteran, that has overcome, uh, their demons, if you will, uh, whom, whom better to talk to. Yeah. So as we
0: close this up, I have to sh- story time. Okay, Sarah's great. favorite part. So I, I've been on two ships. Um, I was on a submarine for 10 days. I think it was a U.S. sub. It was when I was in the military and then outside of the military I did, uh, one of the, the cruises they called them for, you know, uh, American government people or people that work in that to go on like um, an Australian ship. So on the submarine it's very regimented. Like do, do you have to be everywhere at this time, can't go here. You know, like yeah. every minute of your day is regulated on it. So we go I think it was an Australian ship. And we go on and we were on <laughs> it for three days and and so the guy that's shadowing me, it's some young officer. He's like, Oh, I'm off at five. I'm like, okay. And he, what do you do? And he's like, Oh, we're going to go get drunk. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you know? I was like, there's yeah. no alcohol anywhere in the U S military legally. And then he's like, yeah, there's a bar. <coughs> up here on the ship. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. God he's bless like, the yeah, Ossies. get off at five and go have mm. some beers. <laughs> but, uh, well, thank you for,
1: <laughs> wait, I, I want to, uh, we talked about this a little bit, but Brian, um, if we don't count Space Force, now we've been represented on our show with every single branch, right? Yeah. Now that we've got a Coastie.
0: Except for Space Force. Except for new.
1: are new. Are we counting Space Force?
2: <laughs> I, Technically, I you yeah, have to. <laughs> yeah, I right, have to. All right. I, so, I worked
0: for Space Command for a little bit, so I kind of have to. Oh, all right. So I, whatever. I, it turned okay, into well, Space Force. So. Oh! Half, Half Space Force. Can we
1: count you? Yeah. Okay, we're counting you. We have the whole...
2: So those are the armed forces, but have you had a merchant marine? We have not
1: had a merchant marine Mm -hmm.
2: but I and we recognize them in time of war. Yes.
0: Yes. And that was when I did the Academy nominations. I was the biggest cheerleader for the merchant Marines. Trying so to get people to yeah, cause in. we were
1: going to, we were talking to Ferris about it and then my son, and then he decided he wanted to go in the coast guard, um, instead. And then he was in an accident and ended up not being able to do anything, but yeah, the merchant Marines. Yeah. So
0: no, I have one. There's one that's going to come on. This has a very interesting story. Oh yes. So. I love stories anyway. So, well, that. we really appreciate you taking your time to come on the show. Um, especially coming back from about a month long hiatus of recording <laughs> these, <laughs> Yeah, uh, we were tired. And you have
2: to get upstairs for another community meeting, I believe. I, I do, and, and thank you again for helping us get the word out.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, we,
2: and we'll, oh, I was just going
0: to say we'll post all the information, um, you know, links to the websites and stuff on the when this goes out.
1: And we are passionate about our veterans and um, everything that we do. And so the work that you do and the way that you're approaching it really – I appreciate it on a level that's hard to explain. So, thank you so much for everything that you're doing.
2: My pleasure. Right. And maybe next time we can do a beer summit and have more stories. Yes.
1: We can. Yes. Um, Chad Vorthman, I know you're listening. I want you to know that um, I have recruited some of your team from uh to uh, action 22 um so we'll have a discussion about cole kelly uh pretty quick um and the letter kenny side of that uh we will next next on our show we're going to have a really um interesting in-depth discussion with adam frisch so on our next episode of making action happen we're going to be having that discussion with adam frisch uh since the and it's the first big one since the, um, since the election. So, uh, join us next time. Anything else? Oh, disclaimers.
0: Yeah, I got to do disclaimers okay, still, disclaimers. Um We're it, uh, action 22 does not endorse or support candidates for office. What we do is give them the opportunity to come on our show, no matter what office they're running for and just tell us what they're about. So that's the disclaimer. And hopefully the last time I have to say it,
1: um, hopefully it'll be the last time I have to say it. Also, uh, the, the opinions and information that are expressed are not the opinion, necessarily the opinions expressed by the board of uh, action 22 but are those that come just do See it. we're we're rusty oh on my these gosh, so, so the, the just <laughs> just do it later
0: Yeah we'll do it later okay. all right thank
1: you <laughs> see you guys next time
0: Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.